In our text today, the author of Hebrews addresses the question, why did God become man and ultimately go to the cross? Now, to the Jew, the idea that the creator of the world, the idea that the Holy One of Israel would become a human uh, was just, they certainly were not expecting that. And many just thought that idea absolutely ludicrous, in fact, blasphemous. If you, in fact, if you remember, when the leaders of Israel were interrogating Jesus, they asked him, are you the Messiah? Jesus said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me, and if I asked you, you wouldn't tell me. But from now on, you will see uh, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They then asked Jesus, what then, are you the Son of God? To which he replied, you say that I am. And for the religious leaders, that was enough. End of discussion. They all exclaimed with a loud voice, what more do we need to hear? He has claimed to be the Son of God. Blasphemy. And they sentenced him to death. So the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah, and they, they knew the, the, of the Messiah as the anointed one of God, but they, were, they did not conceive of the Messiah as God himself. That was just a blasphemous idea. In fact, uh, the idea that God would become man and then go die on the cross, which the Old Testament says, he who hangs upon a tree is cursed, uh, that was just an absolute scandal. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, the cross is a scandal to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks. And so if the gospel is to go forth amongst the Jews... There has to be an answer to the question, why would God become human and ultimately go to the cross? And that's, uh, that's what our text uh, seeks. That question is what our text seeks to answer today. So if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5. I'll read the text, and then we will uh, unpack its answer to this question. Why did Jesus become human and go to the cross? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So there are three reasons I see in the text here for why Jesus became human and ultimately went to the cross. And the first is this, to fulfill humanity's true purpose. When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them a task, a mission. We have a purpose as humans, and what is it? Well, God said to Adam and Eve, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. We humans are created in the image of God. And we, God has entrusted the earth to us. He, he tells us to rule over it. And the, the goal though is to rule over the earth in such a way that creation feels as if God himself is in control, right? Those who, cr- who are created in his image, who walk with him, who reflect him in their character and their values and their behavior. Man, God's design is that we Humans created in his image rule over the earth in such a way that the earth feels like God himself is in charge. That's our purpose. And you know what? Every one of us can step into that purpose empowered by the spirit of the living God. Unfortunately, no one except the Lord Jesus Christ has ever fulfilled that purpose because of sin. Adam and Eve sinned. And then the sin nature passes to every one of their descendants. And you and I were born with a sin nature. And the sin nature causes us to be selfish and abusive and to rule not for the benefit of others, but for ourselves. And so no human has ever succeeded in fulfilling their God-given purpose except the Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, we had no one that we could look to to say, that's what it looks like to be perfectly human. That's what it looks like to fulfill the purpose of God. That's what it looks like to live life to the full. But with the coming of Christ, we now have a model. We we now have someone we can say, what does it look like to live the best possible life? Oh, well, let's look at Jesus. How did he spend his time? What did he value? How did he interact with people? How did he treat those who hurt him? How did he treat those uh, that he that he could help? How did he use his power? Right? We have in Jesus a model for the perfect life. And the more that we pattern our lives after Jesus, the more we step into life to the full. You want to have your best possible life? Pattern it after the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Sabrina gave me this illustration. She said, you know, uh, imagine you're a sculptor, and so you're working with clay. And usually sculptors have some kind of a model, an object that they're trying to sculpt their clay to look like. Well, a sculptor who neglects the, the model 
ends up creating clay that who knows what it's going to look like. But if you want to sculpt properly, you keep looking back at the model. And then you sculpt a little clay, and you look back, and you sculpt a little clay, and you look back, and you sculpt a little clay. You keep your eyes on the model. Well, same it is with us. The more that we keep our attention focused on Jesus and then pattern our lives after him, the more we step into uh, the purpose for which God created us. Life to the full is not the American dream. Life to the full is not the American dream. The American dream is not a bad thing. Uh, but life to the full, well, if Jesus is exemplifies life to the full, it entailed suffering, didn't it? It entailed turning the other cheek. It entailed going to the cross. And yet, that is the life the Bible tells us brings us the deepest joy and satisfaction. Verse 6, it has been testified somewhere. We know where that is. It's actually a quotation from Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, Psalm 8, if you read Psalm 8, uh, it's talking about uh, the psalmist is marveling at the exalted position God has granted humans. Wow, he is... God created this majestic world with the all these st stars in the sky and uh, all these glorious creatures, and yet... To humans, he's put it all in subjection to us. We rule. But the New Testament recognizes that this is also a, a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus is the one who fulfills humanity's true purpose. And so as Christians, we are united with Christ. And only through our union with Christ will we be able to step fully into what God has called us. Only in Christ will we be able to fulfill our purpose. And that is something that we begin to do now, empowered with the Holy Spirit. We begin to become more and more like Christ, right? As we grow in sanctification, we step more fully into the uh, into God's purpose for us. And then, of course, in, in the eschaton, uh, when we rise from the dead, we will be fully like our Lord Jesus Christ, and God will get, uh, we will be all that God meant us to be. So Jesus is the perfect man, and through Jesus, we too uh, get rescued from this life of just uh, a, a, a less than human life. So do you want all that God has for you? Do you want to step into a meaningful, purposeful life? Pattern it after the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason this text gives for why Jesus became human and went to the cross is to uh, deal with the sin problem, to deal with the problem of sin. The Bible says uh, that the wages of sin is death, and we have all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the penalty of, for sin is death. That when we're born, we're born separate from God, the relationship is broken. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say the wrath of God rests upon us because of our sin. 
And that's a problem. And that, that problem has to be dealt with. If we want to have reconciliation with God, if we want to have life eternal, the sin problem's got to be dealt with. Well, it could only be dealt with by God becoming man. Because no human is capable of atoning for his own sin, paying the penalty for his own sin or her own sin. Only the perfect man. And God, uh, the Son of God, was the perfect man. And so his death was sufficient payment for your sin and my sin. And, but we have to receive that by faith, right? We have to say, I receive Christ's death upon the cross as payment for my sin. But let me go a little farther and say this. It's the righteous life of Jesus Christ that's also part of the dealing with the sin problem. Imagine that your child is killed in a car wreck by a drunken driver. So a drunken driver, they're negligent, and in their drunkenness, boom, they swerve, they hit you, your, uh, your child dies. Now, even if the state um, kills the drunken driver, right, Ex- death penalty, now that provides some justice, but does that provide satisfaction? Does that provide restoration? No, you're not going to be restored unless your child comes back to life. Well, part of the offense of our sin is that the Creator never got what He wanted. He created humans to live in right relationship with Him, to be obedient, and to fulfill the purpose. But no human has done that. And so, sure, the justice of God, the wages of sin are death, and that, that needs to be satisfied. But Who's going to restore what God has lost? Jesus Christ. Jesus was born as a little infant. He lived an entire human life in full obedience to the Father. And then he offers his life up uh, in our place. That's why Jesus uh, is called the new Adam, right? And so God receives the righteous life of Jesus Christ as satis- as on our behalf, as satisfaction for us. So this is extremely important to understand. When you become a Christian, you exchange your imperfect life for the perfect life of the Son of God. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures, your imperfection, he sees Jesus Christ. And what did God say about his son? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's what he says about every Christian. Because Christ's perfection has been credited to you. This is why Christianity is not a works-based religion. We do not seek to earn the love and the favor and the acceptance of God. Our standing before God is rests fully upon the work of Christ. His death paid the penalty for our sins, and his perfect life satisfied God. So God is not disappointed with you. God is 100% fully satisfied. You, if you are a Christian, you have been reconciled to God 100%. 
He has no uh, hesitation, no reservations about receiving you uh, with open arms into his very presence. And the scripture says, you know, we can come boldly before the throne of God. Why? Because we come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? So for, for Christian, rest in that. Jesus became man and he went to the cross so that you could exhale and relax and then focus on the relationship. Now, of course, we Christians who have been transformed and are indwelt with the Spirit of God, we are drawn to, to God. We want to please Him, right? Because we know that that is where we find life to the full. But God doesn't want us stressing. And so in, what is confession? Confession is to say, God, ah, that's not right. That's not what I want in my life. I know that doesn't lead to life. Uh, forgive me. And of course, we are forgiven. And, and when, but when we say that, the Spirit of God whispers back, you're forgiven because of what Christ did. Now, you're cleansed. Move forward. If you're not a Christian, though, uh, you're not benefiting from that. You're standing before God in your own strength. And the Bible says the wrath of God rests upon you. The Bible says you are a sinner. And that if you don't have Christ, if you're not united to Christ, if you're not benefiting from what Christ did, well, judgment and ultimately hell is your destiny. And that's a terrible thing. And so <laughs> the Hebrews need to be reminded Wow, look what you have in Christ and imagine what you what you don't have if Christ hadn't become man and gone to the cross. So I read in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The final reason our text gives for why Jesus became human and ultimately went to the cross is this, to become a sympathetic high priest. Verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in chapter 4, verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Donald Miller, president of Philadelphia uh, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, uh, gives this story to illustrate. He said, um, many students would come to me and ask for counsel. And I was able to help many, but then one day, 
uh, a blind student came. And he wanted help, and I wanted to help him, but it pretty quickly became evident to both of us that I, I, I just simply wasn't able to empathize with what he was going through and had gone through because I'd never experienced anything like it. He had been uh, born blind, been a ward of the state, and the struggles that he had gone through to get through school, and now he's in seminary. And, and he said, I, we were both frustrated because I just seemed unable to sympathize and thus to help. He said a little, little while later, I, was, uh, I met a guy named uh, Beattie who had been the principal of the School for the Blind for 25 years, and he had recently retired. And his testimony was that I became blind as a teenager, had sight up until my teens, and then all of a sudden something happened and I was blind. And for a long time, it was all I could do to not end my own life. But eventually God helped me get through that and and come to uh, a place of health and joy. And so I made it my mission to help other people. And so he told testimonies of many people who had become blind uh, midway through life, and then he'd help them uh, kind of get through that those dark times and enter into uh, into hope. And so what Donald Miller said is, you know what, because he had been blind, Beatty, because he'd been blind, he was able to help those who were in, who were uh, became blind midway through life, like he did. But it was all about he'd been there and done that, right? And he was able to sympathize. Well, God, in his perfection, he understands, but he became man so that he would become like us, face the same things that we had faced. Jesus was born as a little baby. He endured all the same temptations, all the same struggles, all the same disappointments, all the same hardships as we did. He understands. What's the point? The point is Jesus is, has gone through tremendous links to become accessible to us, right? He has come down to be approachable. And so why in the world would we not approach? In fact, verse 16 of chapter 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus had become human to become available to us. So let's take advantage of that. He's been tempted. When you're being tempted, who do you turn to? Do you just try to muster up self-control? Or do you go to Jesus and say, man, you went through this. Help me. When you fail. Now, Jesus, he didn't fail. But he understands failure. And we can go to him with our failures and say, please, I need your forgiveness. Please, I need your cleansing. Please, I need your restoration. He's merciful. He's faithful. Why is it that when we're struggling, we so often run from God and we think, I'll clean up my life first, then I'll come back to God? That's just, I don't know why that's the human, uh, human heart tends to do that. But that's the exact opposite. His arms are wide. The sympathetic high priest says, Come to me when you're struggling. I'm merciful and I'm faithful. 
you know, when I just want to cry a shoulder to cry on, I, I go to somebody who's been through what I've been through. But when I want help, I go to somebody who's been through what I've been through and then overcome. Right? And that's Jesus. Jesus is sympathetic, but he also knows how to overcome. Tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus says more than I understand. He also says, I can help. So to the Hebrews, and now to us today, imagine what we would give up if Jesus had not become human and gone to the cross. Where would our model for perfect humanness come from? Who would we be able to pattern our life after? Who would have dealt with the problem of sin? Would we have to die? We can't be good enough. Who is going to satisfy God? We wouldn't, we wouldn't have that satisfaction. We would have no sympathetic high priest. Who, would, who do we turn to when, when we're struggling and when we're failing? Man, this Hebrews is awesome. And it, it's a reminder to us. <laughs> you don't want to turn back from this. God in the person of Jesus Christ, has given us so much. Let's not, let's not retreat. Let's step in.